This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Paddy Rankin was a painter born in Newry in 1889. He spent two years on the waiting list to join the Irish Republican Brotherhood. In 1907, when he was finally accepted into the secret fraternity, he found progress in his part of the country to be slow due to the cautious nature of the IRB leadership. This wasn't the only source of frustration for Paddy, as employment was difficult to secure at the time. He moved to Toronto for work, where he had relatives living. Finding Toronto quite conservative, the ban on playing sports on Sundays hindered his organisation of Gaelic teams. He moved from there to Philadelphia in the USA. Early in June 1914, I went to live in Philadelphia and joined Clan Gael in that city, which was composed of the most extreme of the IRB. So I was quite at home. There were plenty of young Irish members also, but I felt very lonely for some time. And if Toronto is Puritan in outlook, well, American city life makes one feel like heading for one of Dante's three lower regions. So to counteract this, I joined the city National Guard after one month in Philadelphia. Paddy spent his time in the National Guard training and improving his marksmanship. Every Saturday night he would visit the firing range and return home afterwards with a few bullets in his pocket. He came home to Ireland in January and had a tense episode with a customs officer as he re-entered the country. He examined my books, which I had collected in Toronto and Philadelphia, and as he was getting near the bottom of my trunk, looking at more books, a brother officer called him and asked if he was nearly finished with me. My examiner replied that he was finished and chalked my trunk. I did not delay about locking the trunk, as I had 600 rounds of Springfield ammunition underneath the books. The ammunition safely through, he also managed to get his 22 bore Stevens rifle back into the country. This rifle was very handy for carrying on one's person, as it could be broken at the trigger, the barrel going up one sleeve of the coat and the butt up the other. This was very handy when going for football or hurling practice in the marshes in case one met RIC patrols. On his return, Paddy found that the nationalist movement was still very weak in the Newry area. When the Easter Rising began on Easter Monday 1916, he could only find two other men, one of whom was his brother, who were willing to make the journey to Dublin to take part in the fight the following day. The night before their planned departure, however, Paddy decided it was best that only one of the Rankin brothers risked their life in the fight, and that his other friend was better off living for Ireland. He departed before the arranged time to meet the other two men, and made the journey alone on bicycle. He cycled all day to reach Dublin. It rained very heavily from when I left Balbriggan, until I arrived in Dublin about 730 I carried a six-inch revolver on my journey, and fortunately, I was not stopped by the police. I went to my sister, Mrs Dillon, living in Glengariff Parade, North Circular Road, and changed into her husband's clothes. I was very thankful for the change. After I had rested, my brother-in-law and I went down to the city as far as the GPO to see things for ourselves. We experienced no interference during our walk, but my brother-in-law was keeping a close watch on me. After an hour or so, we returned to his house again. I slept with my brother-in-law that night and placed my revolver and ammunition in a safe place in the bedroom. But in the morning, they were gone. He slipped out of his sister's house that Wednesday morning and joined his fellow volunteers in the GPO. His skill with a gun from his time in the National Guard was evident and he was given a rare Lee Enfield and put to work. 
My job on the roof of the GPO with a party of men armed with rifles and homemade grenades facing Nelson's pillar. We were to watch for any enemy approaching on the GPO, especially during the night. About one o'clock in the morning, a Dublin man who was in charge of us asked me to look out between the stone balustrades of the roof facing O'Connell Street and see if any enemy were coming. I had only time to draw back to my position when a bullet grazed his ear and mine. It was a very near shave as both of us were lying back on the roof. Within a few days, the GPO was in flames and the battle was lost. The order was given to surrender and the volunteers were marched to Richmond Barracks in Inchicore. On the way, they were abused by some of the locals who did not support their cause. They looked like a few who were around during the French Revolution. One of my companions answered one of the women, and a sergeant broke through our ranks and struck him on the breast with his rifle with full force, saying, If you speak again, I'll kill you. The women were allowed to follow our men to barracks, shouting at the soldiers, Use your rifles on the German so-and-sos. Arriving at the barrack gate, one of my companions collapsed from weakness, but came through on receiving aid. From there, they were taken to prisons in England, Paddy serving his time in Stafford Prison. He gave a frank account of conditions there. Our breakfast was served by our own men at 7.30am and consisted of cocoa and one slice of dark bread. Not sufficient. Lunch, 12.30. Cabbage water, two ounces of horse flesh and one and a half potatoes. Bad. Five o'clock, cocoa and a piece of dark bread. The horse flesh was as hard as plug tobacco and when your cell was open next morning, you had a shot with it at your comrades. The prisoners were moved to Frongoch internment camp in Wales in July of that year. Here, conditions were slightly more lenient. The prisoners were allowed to govern themselves and receive parcels from home. One prisoner was informed that there was a parcel for him, and Julie signed the form. The sergeant opened the parcel and removed a large bottle of Irish whiskey, telling the prisoner that he was not allowed strong drink and retaining the whiskey. The prisoner gave him plenty of strong language in return and disappeared. In August 1916, Paddy was released from Frongach and returned to his hometown where he promptly resumed his involvement in the nationalist movement. As officer commanding of the Newry Brigade, he organised the protection of polling stations in the general election of 1918 and was involved in numerous raids for weapons on British Army positions. After attending a meeting in Dublin with Michael Collins, however, his house was raided and he was arrested. Once again, he found himself behind bars in England. Upon his arrival in Wormwood Scrubs in London, the Irish prisoners went on hunger strike and engaged in protests against their treatment. Our officers gave an order which was to take effect one evening at 7pm. When our commandant would blow a whistle, each prisoner was to pull his cell door off its hinges. Some of our men were now getting weak and not strong enough for this job so an extra prisoner was detailed to help a weak prisoner to get his door off. It only took about five minutes to complete the work and have each door off its hinges. There was some noise when hundreds of iron doors fell on the stone corridors. The prisoners were moved to a different part of the prison and the hunger strike continued. The warders came along to each cell, opened the door and passed in the food to the various prisoners, who in turn would pitch the food back into the corridor. The warders would then call the military guards. They would come with their rifles and strike the prisoners with the butts. Whilst the warders were collecting the remains of the food to be thrown into the cells again and closed and locked the cell doors, 
Our men now broke the glass peephole on each cell window and put food through it out into the corridor again. The state of our cells soon became dreadful, especially the floors, which became embedded with soup, fish, fruit, rice and various other foods, and men continued walking in the same. Those conditions were bound to bring the hunger strike to a speedy climax. The strike ended with the hospitalisation of the prisoners, including Paddy. There, they were given good treatment and slowly regained their health. After a week in hospital, we were getting into the convalescent stage, when two young Cork patients had a brain wave. They asked our doctor, Dr McCormack, a young Scotsman, would he give them a pass out to see London. A few days later, the doctor came along with two passes for the Cork boys. The Corkmen went out and, to their credit, returned back in correct order. The men decided to exploit this weakness and all applied for passes. One Sunday, as arranged, they all left the hospital on day leave and never returned. Our men departed from London for Ireland to the various counties and their home. We expected to be stopped in Holyhead, but no, nor were we interfered with by any RIC in any part of Ireland on our journey home. Paddy chose to end his Bureau of Military History witness statement here. He spent the rest of the War of Independence on the run. Back in Newry after the truce, Paddy had a family to look after so his involvement in the struggle was over. He returned to his life as a painter and decorator and raised a large family. He died in 1964. For more on Paddy Rankin, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. Paddy Rankin's statement was read here by his grandson, Joe Murray. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.